Hello there, and thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Loneliness, that's my topic. Is there a cure for loneliness? What is loneliness? How does it affect us? How are we impaired by living a life in a state of loneliness? How do we succeed as a lonely person? How do we make it? Is it a medical issue? Is it a psychological issue? It's a social issue. What is it? What's going on in the life and the mind of the lonely person? Well, I'll tell you what, a little bit of all those things. It's got a medical component. It's got a psychological component. It's got a social component. It's got a physical component. Many aspects of loneliness need to be taken a look, taken a look at and see where we are and see what we can understand about this whole topic of loneliness. Older Americans live at a greater risk for social isolation. People die, leave them alone. People move away, leave them by themselves. Sometimes they choose to live alone. Sometimes they live a lifestyle that's pretty lonely by choice and by circumstances. So lonely people are much more likely to live in social isolation and experience the effects of social isolation, which can lead then to physical illness, depression, cognitive impairments such as dementia. In other words, we're looking at it now from the point of view of what causes loneliness, what brings about loneliness, and how does it affect us, and what are we going to do about it? That's really the bottom line factor for all of us. What are we going to do about it? Because in some ways, we all experience loneliness. There's a preferred term, however, and that is social connection. Some people are socially connected. Some people are not socially connected. And that's what we mean by loneliness, is the lack of social connectedness. It isn't just the fact that you live by yourself, or you live out in the uh, boondocks, or you live in the mountains somewhere by yourself, or you choose to have very few friends, or over the lifetime, very few people have come into your life and been a friend. It isn't that, maybe. But it's a sense of being alone, the sense of loneliness. And it's a kind of a psychological state. It's a mental state, you know, so to speak. Now, what was interesting in some of the early research on this topic is that a um, researcher from the University of Chicago and uh, took a whole handful of, so to speak, of the white blood cells of people who were considered lonely and considered themselves lonely, men and women. And the results were startling when they looked at these blood cells under a microscope. In each of the samples, the blood cells appeared to be in a state of high alert. They were responding the way that they would to a bacterial infection. So it was as though the subject was under a mortal assault by a disease, and the disease is known as loneliness. So even within the context of our white blood cells, there's kind of a effect of loneliness. Loneliness shows up in a variety of ways, and even that very simple one-cell white blood cell. It's as if that blood cell is under attack and it needs to defend itself. It needs to heal a disease, bacteria, an infection. So it needs to go into action, so to speak. So deep within the physiological state of an individual who's lonely, the effect is profound and powerful. Loneliness uh, is stated by a Dr. Louise Hawkley, she also from the University, also from the University of Chicago. And loneliness is a universal human experience. And being the social animal we are, there must be implications when those social connections are not satisfied. So, in other words, there is a social connectedness that is important to the individual, to the human being. And when that is not met, when that need is not met, 
for embeddedness or connectedness or to live an integrated social network, then consequences take place well within the mental and the physical health of an individual. A research study by ARP and the Public Policy Institute at Stanford and at Harvard Universities says this, the impact of people living in social isolation adds almost $7 billion a year to the cost of Medicare, mostly because of longer hospital stays. The result, researchers indicate, they have not had community support or support from their home. And they live and they suffer in the hospital setting alone, begging for connectedness. Maybe they are talking about the need for connectedness, but their cells within the body are calling out for connectedness to calm down, if you will, and relax. Now, this is an interesting point. $7 billion a year to the cost of Medicare by a population of people that we know and we can pretty well identify people who are lonely. Yet Medicare does not pay for programs to minimize loneliness, whether that's going to the gym or whether that is being in a social network of some kind or uh, belonging to a club or to an organization or whatever it might be. You would think those kinds of incentives would be utilized by Medicare to reduce the cost of hospitalization costs just by helping people become more connected in their life prevent hospitalization or minimize hospitalization if they are hospitalized. So loneliness is a killer. Many, many studies show the effect of loneliness, the contributing factor to fatal conditions. It makes a person much more vulnerable to Alzheimer's disease, dementia, makes a person more likely to have high blood pressure, makes a person more likely to consider and to even commit to suicide. And we know pretty well that it's a major contributing factor to the common cold, which disturbs so many people. More people than COVID disturbs people. So it's a dangerous to our health. Loneliness is dangerous to our health. It's more dangerous to our health than is obesity. It's more dangerous to our health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. We need to put this in perspective. We need to understand this a little bit better. Our insurance companies need to understand this a little bit better. The amount of money that they are paying out for the effects of loneliness is far greater than they pay out for the effects of smoking and obesity. Something's wrong with that figure. You know, for the average American, loneliness is not something that we really worry about or consider too deeply, except if it's our own loneliness. We are concerned with our own particular loneliness. And um, loneliness specifically is a state in which a variety of things happen you know, to an individual. Socially things happen, physically things happen, mentally things happen. In other words, the whole body is in reaction to an increased level of loneliness. People who live alone, people who decline being out and about. So not necessarily is it that just because somebody lives alone that they're lonely. Not necessarily somebody lives out in the boondock somewhere and they're lonely. Loneliness is different than being alone. Loneliness is a mental state. Loneliness is a physical state. Being alone is kind of a social factor. And people can be alone, live alone, but not be lonely. So there's a different factor. We need to understand this idea of loneliness. Now, some research that was very well known and very well understood was conducted by um, Holt Lundstad, L-U-N-D-S-T-A-D. 
Holt Lundstedt, and he was a co-author of a very large study that was conducted several years ago. It had 3.4 million people who participated in this study. And what they did is they gathered together 70 different studies that uh, looked at the issue of loneliness with people. And uh, they looked at these people over an average of seven years. So they followed them and see what their life was like and how they lived their life and how their health was, etc. Each of these groups of people, that was those who lived alone and those that described themselves as very lonely and uh, those that were socially isolated, three groups. And what they found was this, that each of these groups faced roughly the same increased risk of early death. That is, 32% experienced the risk of early death if they were living alone. 32% living alone. 29% for those who were socially isolated. So not only living alone, but really socially isolated. And 26% for those who described themselves as being very lonely, whether they lived alone or not. But they described themselves as being very lonely. So health risk was much greater for people who were living alone. That was 32%. So about a third of the population. So... It really is a factor, this idea of loneliness. Tremendous factor. And we need to take it into account and look at it quite seriously. Now, in the lonely state, whether a person lives alone or just sees himself as lonely, describes himself as lonely, or whatever, in the lonely state of a person, the brain is producing misleading social signals that uh, others of us read pretty normally. But for the lonely people, the brain reads it somewhat differently. It's very interesting. Okay, the lonely state is um, likely to lead the brain to a misleading social signal. Suddenly, it does not have the corrective translation. You put somebody who is lonely in a room alone, and every person who comes there will be perceived as a threat. So, lonely people have a kind of a perceptual problem. The brain operates in the sense that they see it as a fear situation, a threatening situation. If somebody comes into the life or comes into the room or comes into the space of an individual who sees themselves as lonely, who consider themselves lonely. So lonely people kind of see threat in the life of other people, particularly as they come towards them and come into their space. Further, lonely people continue uh, to misread facial expressions or tones of voice. So they will see a facial expression as being critical, as being like a put-down, as being a rejecting. Tone of voice as being hostile, if you will. When really that's not the case at all. It's not what the person was trying to convey at all. But lonely people will misread facial expressions and tones of voice. They'll be much more prone to see hostility in the faces and in the voice of other people. So, further, lonely people live in such a heightened level of alarm that they lose sleep. In other words, they can't relax, they can't rest, they can't just unwind. Lonely people have a hard time sleeping. In other words, their body is still revved up when it's bedtime. So you think about lonely people just being very, very sedated or almost very uh, weak and unstimulated. But really, their mind is such that it's difficult for them to go to sleep, so they lose sleep. They either wake up in the middle of the night and not able to go back to sleep. Further, lonely people have brains that respond with greater alarm to words such as reject and bully. They don't like negative words. But, you know, they're not bothered by a negative words such as vomit. But they are bothered by negative words such as rejection and bully. 
In other words, there's kind of a hostile factor there, a challenge factor. That really sets off a lonely person, like they're defenseless, if you will. And in one lab, uh, a behavioral study uh, showed that married lonely people stood further away from loved ones. You know, you often see this in a picture of a family. And I've done this over the years. I've, I've looked at many, many pictures of families standing in a row, taking the picture of mom and dad and the kids and, you know, whomever. You get the kids and then they get the spouses and then the grandchildren. And, all that. and I always look for the one that stands away, moves away, leans away from the rest of the group. That tells you that that person is a lonely person, cannot connect, has connection problems. So look at that when you look at family pictures. Who has a connection problem? Reach out to that person and bring them into the fold. Bring them into the family interactional patterns. That person is having trouble connecting and needs help connecting with others. It's that interpersonal distance that is critical. And you will see that all the time as you look at family pictures. Good is a family picture where everybody hugs together and loves together and bonds together and blends together and comes close together. But look for the person in that family picture that just kind of leans away from the others and creates a distance, a separation of space between the other people and themselves. Finally, loneliness carries a stigma. It's like obesity. It carries a stigma. But for loneliness, the stigma is social failure. We tend to think about people who are lonely as being social failures. And that's not necessarily the case. Some people feel more comfortable alone. Some people like being alone. Some people are in situations where they are forced to be alone. Circumstances are such that create that loneliness you know, for them. But they're not necessarily alone. They're not necessarily feeling alone. So look at it from the perspective of health. Look at the perspective of social relationships. Being alone can be a very devastating experience, but it doesn't necessarily. So it isn't the loneliness or being alone. It's the fact that you see yourself as a lonely person. In other words, you kind of choose loneliness and therefore amplify the fact that you are lonely, whether you live alone or not, whether you live out in the boondocks or not, whether you have family or not. It's not being alone it's that sense of loneliness that is the devastating effect upon our health and our bodies and our mind. So we need to be very careful how we experience our time alone. Bye for now.